0: So, Nicholas, what's happening, yep. sir? All right, thank you. It's been a long time coming. This thank is you. our podcast, L I T C podcast, episode three. All right. So, one of the things that we're doing with our podcast, the way we like to start is by looking at a bit of art. And this is the artwork that we've got in. And okay. just tell me what that says to you. Um,
1: I've kind of learned not to judge art, you know, having working with quite a number of artists. But um, I don't know. I can see some signs and some numbers up at the top. Yeah. Actually, kind of thinking of it, it kind of reminds me of um, those African masks. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it looks like um, like one of those figurines that you know, I kind of started seeing when I went back to Nigeria years and years ago. You know, at the
0: at the altars. Yeah, nice, nice. I don't know. I'm looking at it like to be fair. It's quite. I get the feeling of. Rituals, Mm. something a bit mysterious, something a bit dark. Obviously there's colors in it, but I don't know. I get like, I'm Muslim. So I get a feeling of there's something in Islam, like the jinns, like the spirits and whatnot. Do you know what I mean? And I get that sort of feeling. Mm. Like I'm watching. When I'm looking at that arrow, I can see an eye. Okay.
1: So sort of I can watching. see the two eyes here. Yeah. And to me, it's almost like this is the head. Yeah. Then this becomes a nose. Yeah, but then yeah. is it really a nose? you get what I'm but saying? It's, it, it's, for me, it's funny because you just said something dark. Yeah. And I think for me, because I kind of grew up away from this country, mm. I don't see it as being dark.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, I don't see it as being dark.
0: So where do you think that comes from? When you say you grew up away from this country- and Because I think,
1: do... you know, I think the perception is people tell us what is supposed to be the norm and what norm is it. Mm. So because we're not familiar with it, you know, as I said, you know, I you know I was born here and I went back over to Nigeria and, you know, I lived in the quarters or the village- Wait, let's stop,
0: let's stop, let's What's stop. Okay, don't go too far ahead. Let's okay, go no, too but far the ahead. thing is yeah. for
1: me, when I went back in 1979, you know those were things that I was seeing in people's houses mm-hmm. so it became the norm for me mm-hmm. where somebody who's over here it's not the norm mm. if that kind of makes sense and when
0: i said about dark do you do you feel like it's from a negative point of view like it's associated with
1: i think it's associated with what is the stand what is the standard norm yeah
0: and yes. what is the
1: standard norm here in comparison yeah. to anywhere else
0: all right cool I'm, I'm cold at the moment. Oh, I thought I you were gonna fund us. No, you know to what was, like, I had my jacket on, but I thought it wouldn't be uh? professional, but it was cold <laughs> in this Do, space.
1: Know, do you, know, it, you know, one of the things one of the things I will touch on in terms of it being cold. Yeah, it is cold, but also what people need to realise is it's a concrete building. Yeah. But also, because of how this space is, nobody really wanted it.
0: I get you, I get you. All right. Mm-hmm. So I said your name, Nicholas, Nicholas Okulu. Yeah. So tell me who Nicholas is. Did I, you know what, did I, because we're talking about, did I pronounce it right?
1: You did. All right, thank you. I couldn't even tell you the meaning of my name.
0: All right, go on. So what I want to know is how it all started. Who is Nicholas Okulu? Who am I? Where you grew up.
1: Okay. How you grew up. Um, My parents came over here in the 60s. I think my dad came around 1964. My mom came 1966, the year, more or less the year that I was born. Mm. Um, and uh, I was born in Vauxhall. Uh, I'm so unfortunate.
0: What do you mean, unfortunate? <laughs> carry uh, on, sorry, I don't want to interject. Carry <laughs> on, carry on,
1: carry on. I was born in Vauxhall, um, and then my, my dad, my parents bought a house in Streatham. Uh, so we lived in Streatham. You know, it was, it, it was a really good time there. I mean, I remember it, you know, summer of 1976, when it was, oh, you weren't born there, were you? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, summer of 1976, when it was really, really hot. I think we had the hottest, you know, we had a heat wave then. And then um, around seventy seven, seventy eight, we moved to Loughborough Junction. Uh, which is where quite a lot of people know me. Uh, but I only stayed there for about two years. I went to William Penn School and in 1979, when they had the Dinner Ladies strike.
0: Dinner um, Ladies strike? Well, yeah.
1: Dinner Ladies strike? They weren't paying them enough. Okay. Um, so the dinner, I think the Dinner Ladies went on strike and I had to go home. And, you know, I was in my school uniform, kind of like, you know, walking along people's fences, you know, around Red Post Hill. You know, making my way back to Loughborough Junction, mm. and you know, all I remember is you know, police pulling up and saying, "Put your hands up, lie on the ground." How old were you? Twelve. I was eleven, going twelve. Yeah. You know, and I remember. Was it just I'm, you
0: by yourself, or no? It
1: was me and um, one of my uh, classmates. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I remember just having a gun pulled on on me you know, by the police during that time. Um, and, you know, my mum decided that, you know, because of the racism that was going on then, it was best for me to go and stay with my dad back in Nigeria. So I went back to Nigeria.
0: See, and you know what, thinking about that, I know like, see how times change. Well, not even how times change. But it's different changed. for you. No, that's what I said, not even how times cha- change in terms of, you're telling me you went back to Nigeria at a young age, straight away in my head, I'm thinking about all my friends, they went back because they were being naughty. Do you know mm. what I mean? That was quite a <laughs> but if, but the thing, thing is, to do.
1: But the question is, were we naughty or was it because of the way the system was at that time?
0: Well, some of my some of my friends, I can only talk about some of my peers, they blatantly were naughty and okay. were getting in trouble. So I'm saying it's surprising for me. Not even surprising, I've not heard that before. You've no. actually gone back because your mum's like, no, nah, you know what? Your safety's in jeopardy. Yeah yeah, 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 Do you get me? And i supposed to... Wow, my son's going down the wrong words. Yeah, so that's yeah, yeah. that's yeah, it's quite different. But you know. yeah, go on, continue. Sorry. So
1: yeah, so I went back to Nigeria, um, and it was kind of funny because I got to Lagos, got to this big house. I was like,
0: oh, okay, it's yeah. not gonna be that bad. Yeah. <laughs> I can cope. Right, them ones, yeah. yeah so what would you think? You you saying that, yeah.
1: No, I didn't I didn't finish the story, by the yeah. way. Yeah, go go, 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 go on. So I thought, brilliant. Yeah. Couple of days later, it's like, oh, we're going home. I'm like, oh, I thought this was home. Mm. It wasn't. Um, And my dad took me uh, back to the village where he grew up. You know, no electricity, no running water. (laughs) So every morning you had to go to the river to collect water before going to school. Um, And I think for me, it kind of made me, I think that's what's kind of made me who I am. Mm. That, you know, I don't wait for people to give me stuff. You know, it's like, okay, I want something, I need it. How do I go about, you know, getting it? I remember, Mm. you know, I actually remember, you know, setting up my own farm when I was 14. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my dad was, my dad had his own poultry. So, you know, buying and selling chicken. My dad was also a paint technologist. So my dad was also making paint out there. Um, And I kind of learned to become What's a paint technologist? So he used to make paint. Okay. Make the colours, make paint literally from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was his line of work. Um, and kind of just got used to kind of like being independent and not really relying on people. And I think also my dad was a politician as well in Nigeria. So, and that's one of the reasons why I don't go into politics. Mm. Because for me, um, I've never... Do you know what? I think, I don't know. I've got a lot of opinions about politics and, you know, I think lots of people are not really that genuine Mm -hmm. going into politics Mm -hmm. because I think when you go into politics, you're about representing the people, not about representing yourself.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think that's just the issue that I have about politics in these days. And, you know, I, I couldn't see myself becoming a politician. I think I do a lot of things that are kind of political, but I will not become a politician if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it
0: definitely makes sense. And I think like at the time we're in now, it's very, well for myself, it's very hard like when you look, because I think I'm in the middle, because there's certain things that I hear the right say, and I blatantly agree with it, because it it agrees with what my situation at the time. Mm -hmm. And there's certain things I hear the left say, and I agree with that. So for me... I find it really hard, especially yeah. in this current climate. But just quickly, what I wanted to say, you said um, your surname, Okulu. You yeah. could tell me where, you could tell me all about it. So where does it come from?
1: So um, my my surname is Okulu, okay. uh, which is Igbo. Okay. And, you know, a brief interpretation really is about words from deep down within. Mm. Uh, if I remember correctly from my great grandmother, it was Okuluaniyafo, which means the words... Yeah. That come from right deep down inside, inside the gut. If that kind nice. of makes sense, to you and me, Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. So yeah, continue. Like yeah. So growing up, so you was in Nigeria.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Nigeria, um, and I grew up in a place called. Uh, well, it was called Bendel State at the time, um, and it was funny because. The current president who we have in Nigeria now actually took over in a military crew yeah.
0: around
1: 1982, if I'm correct. And I think it was <laughs> I think for a lot of us who reminisce about Nigeria, it was one of the best times because they had this program called War Against Indiscipline, mm. which meant yeah, you had to queue up at the shop, you had yeah. to, you know, you had to be quite civil. And every Saturday we did what was called the sanitation day. So you weren't allowed to go to the farm. You weren't allowed to do anything yeah. until everywhere had been swept. The village, the towns, the roads, everywhere had been swept and cleaned up.
0: Sounds reminiscent of what we're going through now. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Lockdown yeah. and whatnot. Exactly.
1: So, you know, and, and I think I did, I uh, think I went for my O levels around about 84, 1984. Um, did my O-levels and then from 84 to 85, I think my dad wanted me to go to, you know, to go and do A-levels, but I just wasn't, I wasn't an A-level person. Mm. And then, you know, they decided that, you know, my parents, my mum was back here. And then me and one of my brothers uh, literally came back to the UK to stay with my mum in Brixton uh an estate mm. uh kent walk which is no more at this moment
0: oh uh, do you have siblings you have any- yeah yeah well,
1: I've got uh, three sisters and two brothers okay so um yeah we came back to brixton so, uh, your
0: dad stayed in Nigeria. Stayed so, in were Nigeria. your mum and father not together? No, they were together. So, how comes he was over in Nigeria and she was?
1: My dad was Nigerian through and through.
0: Yeah. So, was he just never on it? He was like, nah, nah it's not for me. No. Nah. Did he ever come to England? No, nah, he did come
1: back. He did come back. Um, he yeah. passed away 17 years ago. Uh, is it 17? Yeah, about 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. You know, but I think it it was like, it was almost like we were home home away from home.
0: Yeah. If that kind
1: of makes sense. No, it does make sense. What was
0: that like though, in terms of, was it like, well, that's my family. It's just normal for how we are. Like my dad lives over there. My mum lives over here. What was that like? And what were the, do you feel there were, what effects it would be in terms of on your mum, on your father? What do you think the effects were? The thing is,
1: I don't think the effects were on my parents. And I, I would say that the effects, was really on a lot of us who were children Mm -hmm. who grew up from those relationships. I I wouldn't say relationships that grew up from that because I think you then have this issue of who are you, where are you from? are you British, are you Nigerian, are you Sierra Leonean, are you Cameroonian, are you from Mali, are you from Senegal? Mm. I think that becomes a problem. So for me, I think one of the best, and I think also amongst my, you know, with my siblings as well, the best thing is that I'm I'm bilingual, sorry. Mm -hmm. And I think- you I know, know you're looking
0: me, a bit light at the moment. Like you're looking a bit light. I said bilingual. Cold. You went biracial, like, you know what I mean? Uh, but it's, no, he it didn't say that because he's going to edit it out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> <That was mistaken. laughs> yeah, so,
1: you know- Bilingual,
0: yeah.
1: Bilingual. It, and for me, that's really, really good because I think also that's, that's also given me an immense sense of pride. Mm. But also at the same time, it- the issue that's also risen from it is that people tend to think that I'm quite arrogant. It's not about arrogance it's mm-hmm. I've got, I've got a hundred percent pride and confidence in who I am, where I came from, mm-hmm. you know, and they always say, if you want to know where you're going, you've got to know where you're coming from. Yeah, And I think for me, you know, and I think, you know, the confidence really is, I had the pleasure, you know, when I went back to Nigeria of actually meeting my great grandmothers, Mm. On both sides, yeah, and I think for a lot of people, that's that's like yeah. not Mission Impossible, mm. you know. So for me, having that memory of meeting my maternal uh, grandmothers, uh, my paternal grand, uh, you know, grandparents, and I've and actually seen the places where they grew up and seeing the places that made my parents who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's given me a, a great sense of pride because you know, you can come from London, you can come from Brixton. Mm. And the question is all of a sudden, you're no longer, you're no longer from Brixton if that kind of makes Mm. sense. And I think for me, you know, being able to, to see that place where my parents came from being in that same place where my parents grew up, Mm. you know, and actually, you know, just being there or people saying, Oh, look, look at this person. He's got the same, he's got the same characteristics as his father. And probably they've never met you, but just, Mm. just by doing something, they go, yeah, that's so-and-so's son or that's so-and-so's daughter.
0: Mm. Okay. So what, when you're saying that sense of pride, where did the actual pride come from? Like you said you met your great grandmothers, but what was the, what was you proud about? What was it?
1: Do you know what? I think when you talk to people, you know, and, you know, they, they sit and tell you, I don't know my grandparents. Mm. Mm. You know, I met my grandparents and my great grandparents. Mm -hmm. You know, so for example, just to give you, um, just to give an example, the new uh, president for, is it the World Trade, uh, World Trade Organization? Is actually a relative of mine, Ngozi Okonjo. Mm-hmm. And my grand, no, my great grandmother is from her family and had the same surname, Okonjo. Yeah,
0: okay. So knowing your history, like yeah. your family line, your tree. So, for example,
1: you uh, know, it'll probably be a surprise, My, you know, my son and daughter probably hearing this, but I actually know where the connection actually comes from. Yeah,
0: I get you. And I, I actually you.
1: know directly where that connection actually is. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, as African people, we always say, oh, that's my cousin, that's my cousin.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You see? Extended but actually,
1: yeah, but actually knowing, you know, where that relationship actually is. I think that's something that gives you great pride that, you know, you don't just, I mean, it's funny because when, you know, I go to Nigeria, it's like, oh, this person's your cousin because they're so-and-so removed. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not interested. I just want to know, you Mm. know, what the immediate ones are. You know, I've got other cousins, distant cousins that we're related to, not just because, you know, we call ourselves cousin, but Mm. we can actually, trace back to our four forefathers and how we're actually related. And I think for me, you know, I think sometimes, you know, when I hear people say, yeah, I'm so-and-so cousin, X times removed. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, does, yeah, that, does that, that, mean? Yeah, does yeah, that make sense?
0: You know, I get you. I yeah. get you 100%. So yeah, so if you can continue, you said you came back to England. It was with your mother, you and your brother came yeah, back. Yes, so I
1: came back. I came back and it was funny because, you know, while, while I was in Nigeria and I think most Nigerians and most, I think probably most Africans can attest to. So in my third year when I went to, I was in boarding school in Nigeria. Mm. In my third year, I remember going to the class and I picked, you know, religious education, uh commerce, uh English literature. I chose all the soft subjects Mm. and you know, you know, went away, came back the next day, and they're reading out the register and um, you know, I didn't hear my name. I'm I'm put my hand up with Mm. my English accent. Excuse sir, you didn't mention my name. He went, hold on a minute, he looked, he said, Oh, you're not in this class. Mm. You're in 3C. And three C's: chemistry, biology, physics.
0: Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's physics, chemistry, phys- physics, biology, chemistry. So yeah. physics, biology, and chemistry. Um, and I was in that class. I'm like, I didn't put in for that class. Yeah. No, you didn't. Your dad did. So yeah. I ended up doing physics, chemistry, and biology, which I I got to admit I actually really, really hated. Yeah. Um, but you know, my dad's pain, so. I, I had to do it. Um, and then when I came over here in 1985, I'm like, yes, freedom. Uh, you know, I was out of the clutches of my dad. He couldn't tell me what, what what courses I could do or not do. But I kind of realized I'd spent like three, you know, the best part of three years studying physics, chemistry. But you don't just mm, drop it yeah, like course. that, if that kind of yeah. makes sense. So... um. I think when I came here I to redo my o- I had to redo my O levels as they were called at the time um did O levels and then went to do biochemistry BTEC biochemistry mm-hmm. at college on Tooley Street where South council's just round the corner from South council's mm-hmm. office mm-hmm. um yeah and I did that um and then kind of went do you know what is this really what no actually I tell a lie actually I went to do my work placement at uh, UCL
0: okay and Was that part of your course?
1: Yeah. Mm. Uh, I think I worked in the labs at UCL and I remember I remember doing the course and speaking to them and actually working out how much they were earning. And I just thought, nah, not for me. No. Nah, it's the most stupidest move I ever made actually. Uh, because I think lab technicians, I think if you look at the vaccines and people making chemicals and all that kind of stuff, you Know it, it would have been quite a lucrative business to kind of go into,
0: yeah.
1: But um, I finished college, and I think while I was at college, I'd started collecting records, yeah, and kind of that kind of took me down the whole DJ path.
0: Well, we've known each other for a long time, gone DJ path,
1: yeah. I used to be a DJ, yeah, yeah. Well, I started on the radio, yeah, you know. Well, I started, I actually started collecting records because. You know, those are the days with tdk tapes yeah maxell yeah. fuji tapes yeah no fuji metal tapes and um so we used to play on love Junction. and i think it was funny because i think my friend brought you know uh, sl1200s JAMO speakers and i think every party that happened on love Estate in those days yeah was involved, I was involved in yeah. in many of them, yeah. And you know, it was funny because my friend got these really good speakers, these really good Jamo speakers. People used to go, Yeah, just have to sit and listen, you can tell which one I was DJing yeah, yeah. at. And where
0: were they in houses in the estate?
1: Literally on, on most of the seven blocks seven yeah. is it seven or eight towers in Loughborough Junction? Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't really have to go for it. No,
0: I don't even know the estate, but okay, yeah, yeah. So, it's, so it's got like
1: eight tower blocks, yeah. And I was in any one of those over a weekend DJing.
0: And how was that? Give me a picture. What did that look like for people that have not been to the estate or didn't know what the climate was at the time? What was it like? Do you know what? I think that's when we
1: really had a sense of community. And Mm. I think for me, that's, I think that's the time that I I heart back to. You Mm. know, there was no black, no white. It was just one big community. So if you lived on Loughborough Estate and you were around the same age, We all knew Mm. who was who, Mm. we all knew who played records. We all knew who was good at playing records. We all knew who was rubbish at playing records, you know, and we all knew where the party was going to be. So, you know, started importing, you know, rare groove records from America. Um, And then I started distributing records after a while, you know, worked with people like Orlando Gittins who runs Soul Town, Wayne Marshall, Mm. uh, Rick Clark,
0: um, who else? So what does that look like when you say distributing records? What does that look like? So I used to
1: pick up lots of UK artists. Um, So from DJing, um, I then went to work for Jetstar Records uh, in North London. And I kind of made even more links. And then from there, I started contributing to uh, Touch Magazine which was monthly at the time touch magazine. Then I also did a, a compilation. I did a chart in the voice newspaper, yes. you know, and it was really about showcasing UK artists. I think this was probably about 1990, probably about 90, 93, 94, mm. around then. Um, and then I think a couple of years after that, well, I'd, I'd had children by then anyway, and, um as they were growing up, I kind of thought, you know what? This isn't really the life I really want to live. Mm-hmm. It was nice how it started. And then I kind of just decided to use my biochemistry uh, background and went went into pharmaceutical sales.
0: Okay. Well, going back, so you was basically in the music industry, you're saying? So, Well,
1: trying to get into the music
0: industry. And what was that like in terms of, so? That was something obviously it was natural to you. So what was that like breaking into that music industry or trying to get into that music it, industry? It, the thing is, also... I think it was
1: difficult yeah. for me. I mean, I would say that it was difficult, but I think I kind of knew what I wanted. So, you know, I went from picking up records off of artists, playing it on my radio show, then do, I set up my own distribution label, so I picked pick their records up and take them around to the lo- all the rec- all the local shops. Mm. And we used to do, you know, I think they still do it now, called sell and return. So you go in, you put the records in, mm. and then you come back a week later see how many were sold. Um, so yeah, that's what you know. That's what I used to do. And how old was you at that time? God, uh, probably my twenties.
0: So would you would you say that you're quite entrepreneurial from a young age?
1: I did what I needed to do to survive. Mm. I think that's what it boiled down to. Mm. And also, you know, when, you, when you're buying records, you know, it's, it's, it's also quite an expensive hobby as well. Mm. So, you know, I needed to kind of like supplement it in one way or the other. So, you know, sell a couple of records, make a little bit of profit, buy another record, you know, you pick up. And then also I think, also the good thing, I was also lucky as well, because my mum worked for British Rail. Okay. So I got a free British Rail pass. Oh, right, right. So, so I used to travel go, to yeah. Liverpool, yeah. Manchester, Egham, all the places, nobody would, I just used to just jump on the train yeah. and go to these far-flung out places and just go and buy records and then bring it back. And I remember, used to, I always used to walk with two bags. Mm. So on my backpack, I always used to have the records that I didn't want anybody to see. Yeah. And then in my, you know, and the, the ones like that came in my hands were literally, as soon as I got out of Bricks and Tube Station, yeah. it's like, which ones do you want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, trying to you know, make money back, really. Okay. So yeah, um I think it was just really a, a way of surviving. And also I think, you know, with the whole record thing, it was kind of going into a new into something completely new and different for me mm-hmm. at the
0: time. Yeah. And you said like so along that time you said you had a you had a couple of kids. Children. Yeah, children. Close like, a couple up kids. of children. Yeah. This guy. So you had a couple of children. Um and what was that what how was that relationship in terms of um I think I had a good
1: relationship and that was one of the reasons why I kind of gave up DJing Mm -hmm. because um, it was a case of, you know, preferring to, you know, to be with my children rather than going out. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I think, you know, I could actually, I think there was a reason why I actually stopped DJing because I actually went to a record shop um, and I think I was in my twenties and I actually remember talking to a guy who had this ponytail and all his head receded (laughs) and I thought that's going to be me
0: yeah
1: and I was like nah yeah don't want it I think and that just put me in a situation where it's like you know what go and do something else something Mm. that you'll actually enjoy and you don't I didn't really want to be in a situation of having a ponytail and receding forehead yeah and then you know having younger people Put it I didn't want to be in a situation of how I was looking at him.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you <laughs> said saying it was a young man's game, basically. Yeah. You got to a stage when you just fall. Yeah, yeah and, d-
1: and what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to get caught where I became too old that I had to be in the music yeah, game, of if that kind of makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that
0: definitely makes sense. Definitely makes sense. So, yeah. So moving forward, so you said you went into, is it by Yeah, I
1: went to, so I went to... Um, I went to work for uh, a number of pharmaceutical companies. Like
0: At what level? Like how do you? Is that because of the qualification you had before? How did you just get into that? How did that work? I cheated. Come on. Explain. I kind of
1: cheated. Um, well, I wouldn't say I cheated. I didn't cheat. I you cheated. cheated. Come I on, did, on. No, I didn't cheat. Oh, I didn't I cheat. Go, go I saw an opportunity. Oh, yeah. And the opportunity was called equal opportunities. I don't know if you remember. Equal opportunities in those days where... Mm-hmm it's like it's 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 it's, it's on, let me not say something rude it's like what we're going through now mm. diversity and inclusion it was like everybody should be given a chance okay to be to be opportune to do something that they wanted to do or to have access into an industry that would not necessarily allow you into that kind of those kind of industries and for me it was it was weird because as I said, I did a BTEC biochemistry, but I didn't have a degree. Um, and I thought and I think I'd worked for a double glazing company. You know, I did my records, worked for a double glazing company, that was part-time. Um, and I kind of decided, you know what, I'm gonna go and work for a pharmaceutical company. And I remember, you know, it was it was an issue with me and my dad, because I said to him, I'm leaving No, I worked for uh pharm- I worked for a double glazing company. Then lucky enough, I got a marketing job with a subsidiary of VW when Skoda and VW were merging. Um, so I was working in Hackbridge at the time for this uh, marketing company that did marketing on behalf of um, VW. Um, I remember doing that for, I think it was about two years, and then kind of deciding that's not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Then I went into the, in, I remember, I remember one Chris, I mean, I think it came up to Christmas. It was coming up to Christmas side, so you know, I told my boss, I said, I'm leaving at Christmas. And he was like, what are you going to go and do? I said, I don't know yet, but I'm not doing this anymore. You guys, what, you're not happy? I'm not, I'm happy, but it's not really what I'm yeah. doing. I think I've got another calling. I think I remember telling my dad and my dad was totally pissed. Um, so my dad was not really happy about it. Um, but I was like, do you know what? I want to do something, but I don't know what it is. And I think after sitting down, and speaking to somebody, um, they kind of suggest oh that's it. Mm, don't know if I should tell this
0: story. Yeah, no, I'm I think not gonna you should. No. I'm not gonna tell it. No, I think you should tell it. I think you should tell okay, it. Okay, so I was There's going no at, here, I was so.
1: going out with somebody at the time and I was still selling records. And I yeah. think I was going on a date. And um, for some reason I didn't have any money.
0: Mm.
1: And I was like, boy, I need to go on this date. Yeah. Uh, had the car. So what I did, I pulled some records out stuck him in the back of the car, picked the girl up. And I I remember, I remember talking on the phone, and and I said to her, "Look, I ain't got the money to go out at the moment. She was like, okay then. And then I phoned up and I said, look, let's go out. So I put records in the car, and then remember picking her up, going to a record shop, selling records, and then going on a date. (laughs) (laughs) And um, she said, oh, so you, you did biochemistry? I went, yeah. And you're also a good salesman. I mean, I, I guess so. Mm. And she said, um, "Have you thought about working in the pharmaceutical industry? And I was like, nah, not really. And I think being Nigerian, or I'd probably also say being African, we have this reverence for people who are doctors. You know, mm. I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I can actually talk to a doctor, you know. And um, I kind of sat down and thought about it and I thought, you know what, I think I'm gonna do it. And mm. I remember at the time, you had to buy the Telegraph on a Thursday mm. and it had all the ads for all the pharmaceutical agencies and all the pharmaceutical companies. And I remember, you know, just picking up the phone and calling, yeah. writing applications. And it was no, 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 for two years. And what
0: would you doing moving Because obviously you've said you've got children as well. So what yeah, were you doing the, moving that well, two Well, we, we all
1: hustle. Yeah, you know.
0: Well, what, did, what was that? Look like? that I don't that, know that, what else
1: that, that, was, that was probably still, you know, you know, selling records, yeah. probably working on some casual jobs. Those days it was easy because yeah. you could just work into.
0: Um, so what did you have within that two years? Was you in and out of a lot yeah, of different yeah, yeah, jobs? Yeah, yeah. And I
1: also did uh, market research as well. Yeah. Literally around the corner um, in Elephant and Castle. So, um, yeah, so two years, I remember, I, remember, I remember all my rejection letters all in, one, in, my, um, in my satchel. Mm. I just collected every single one. I said I was not going to rip them up mm. until I got a job. And I remember, um, I remember phoning up for a job, actually, um, and they said, oh, we've got a job, but it's only part-time. Uh, no, I went for an interview and... I didn't get the job, but this was through it was through an agency. And what yeah, what happened? Uh went for an interview, didn't get the job. And then I got a call from the agency saying, Guess what? The person who's on this other territory, they liked you so much, but there's a, there's a territory in Kent. Mm-hmm. And if you can do it, there's a six six month job yeah. that's available for you to do. Cause you, you could also do it in contracts if they didn't take you on as on, on headcount. So I was so eager, I was like, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it, don't care, I'll do it. Don't care, well, it could have been in Grimsey, I would have taken it mm-hmm. if that kind of made sense. But lucky enough, it was only in Kent. We all had to get to Kent by seven o'clock.
0: Mm.
1: And lucky Nicholas, I used to get there at 8, 8.30. Yeah. And I remember my manager you know, coming with me one day and said, no, oh, what time should I meet you, 6.30? I went, no. I said, I'll see you in Kent at 8.30. She went, what? I said, yeah, I'll see you at 8.30. So we got to, so we got to this surgery at 8.30 and um, I was just sitting, you know, walked into the surgery. All the managers that had turned me down, mm. all, half of them were in there, yeah. uh, half the time. And they'd be there from seven o'clock waiting for a snippet just to get in to see the doctor. And the doctor would come like, oh, Nicholas, come, 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 yeah. Straight yeah, in. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so literally, you know, I'd do about six, five or six calls before 12 o'clock. And I'd get to Kent for eight o'clock. By 12, I'd finish. It was a part-time role. But then I then decided that I wanted to do um, what was called a hospital, uh, I wanted to become a hospital rep, which meant that you'd actually, you know, negotiate to actually put the drugs on what's called the hospital formulary. And the formulary is just a book of, all the choices that the hospitals make in terms of what they give to the patients. And for me, you know, I think,
0: So you had, it seems like you had a massive, massive portfolio and responsibility. What was that like at that time in terms of, I suppose, being a black person? What was that? How did you navigate through that? Was it, was it a predominantly white space that you was navigating? in?
1: It was was predominantly a white space. And I think for me, the challenge was, you know, there was, there was always this talk. You don't have a degree.
0: Mm.
1: So the mere fact that everybody kept telling me I didn't have a degree, I made sure that I beat everybody when it came to sales. And I think there was this whole thing about, oh, you're so laid back. Yeah, I'm I'm laid back, but I still beat your sales. Mm. You know, so the question is, you know, people come up with this connotation of how they think people should be, but you got to kind of like, understand the environment that you're in. And I think for me, I learned really quickly how to, be in the environment, had to survive the environment that I was in. So one, being a black person. I think also it was also funny because I remember going for a job mm. interview with, um, with a, this Belgian company. I won't name no names, but if I say Belgian company, everybody will know who it is anyway. And I remember going for a job interview and mm. I remember the lady saying to me, so Nicholas, you know, why should we give you this job? And I said, cause I'm black.
0: But just like that?
1: Just like that. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> I said, because I'm black. And I think I just, I saw her jaw drop, like, wow, how could he say that? And then she kind of composed herself and said, can you please explain? I said, yeah. I said, for why I'm going to work, there's no other black person. Mm. But, or there's one or two, but I think it's really me. And I said, the one thing I can't do is I can't make a mistake. Because they'll always remember the black guy. They won't remember the you know, the white woman with blonde hair, blue eyes, because there were so many of them, but there was only one black rep who was really working. Actually, I think I was one of the first, one of the few reps that was actually working in Kent. For the kind of person that I am, I didn't want to be at the top, but then I did want to be at the bottom. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So for me, you know, it was always about striving to make sure that I was in, I was, I was always in a safe place. So it wasn't a case of, oh, look at Nicholas, you know, have you seen his, his sales figures? They're tro- yeah. Well, I did have atrocious sales figures at once, <laughs> which I'll never forget. And, that, and again, that even taught me a lesson. So for example, I remember when I used to go to the GPs in the morning when I first started and I used to talk to them and they'd be sitting down writing notes. And I think this is when I first started and you used to get your sales figures three months later. It used to be what they were in what was called bricks. So you'd get them in bricks, like little, little areas. And everybody was like, yeah, yeah, talk to the doctor, you know, build a relationship with them. And then hopefully three months time, you'll see all the prescriptions in the bricks and you can work out who has. And then three months later, I got my, I got my results. Yeah. Zero, flatline. And it taught me a lesson, and I think the lesson that it taught me was: whenever I go in to see a doctor, you have to look me in the eye. I don't care what you're doing; look me in the eye when we're talking, so I can get I can get that compliance that yes, you are going to remember to actually prescribe my you know my
0: pharmaceutical products. So, when you was going in and having these meetings with the doctors at that time, was you just not on it? What was it? No, I think it was really about trying to understand how the whole system works. Okay,
1: And the fact is, you know, you're competing with people who've been in that area probably for the last 10, 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And it's about how do you kind of, what's the word? How do you kind of get the, the the doctor to actually start prescribing your drug when they've got a relationship with somebody existing, for the last yeah. 10, 15 years. Yeah.
0: So when we we're, were talking about, like you're saying, being like probably the only black man, one of the only black people in that industry.
1: No, in it, that in the, I'd say in that area. In
0: that area, sorry. So do you feel that you had to code switch quite a lot? Um,
1: Not really. I don't... Do you know what it is? I'm not, really, I'm not much of a code switcher. Yeah, I
0: know that. I, know that. <laughs> and I definitely know that. But I'm
1: saying at that time. No, I, I didn't. Did, I didn't like- and I think, you know, going back to that whole sense of confidence of, mm-hmm. of who I am, I knew who I was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was going in and as far as I was concerned, I had the best products in the world. Mm-hmm. I just had to convince you it was the best product. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think because of the relationships that I had with a lot of doctors and a lot of the consultants, it just made it easier. And I think for me, it was really about increasing my, you know what, I think I was more interested in about how much revenue I was trying to, while well, I was raising yeah. with my portfolio then, yeah. you know, oh, do I get on with my work colleague? Or I do I not get on with my work colleague? Oh, do I have to do this? I think that was, that was my target because I think For me, it was nice just going out to Kent, driving home at the end of the afternoon, going, yeah, I've done a good job, seeing my sales figures, you know, and then knowing that, you know what? Anytime I went to a sales conference, I wasn't getting pulled out of the queue. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole point was, how do you become, you know, the top sales rep in the company or within your region? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was always striving just to be, you know, the top sales rep in my region, or if not third, but top, second or third.
0: Let's say you're a younger person. Do you think it's your experience that have made you like that? How does someone get that? I'm a young person, and I want that attitude that Nicholas has got. How do I get that to say, you know what? I'm not having it, or become because you know what? Some of the young people we work with it's the opposite. Mm. You haven't got a degree, right? Yeah, you're right. I haven't got a degree, and they go within themselves. They don't always. But how do they <laughs> do, get? Do you know what?
1: Do you know what? It's it's funny because I think you know what. Growing up in Nigeria, there's, there's, there's an adage that all Nigerians are, uh, are used to. And it says, it's condition that makes the crayfish bent. It's condition that makes the crayfish bent. So you have to adapt to your environment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So for me, I think having that sense of pride of who I am, it never stopped me from, from, from aspiring to, to get what I want to get.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... I don't believe that anybody can stop me from achieving what I need to achieve. And I also, I also think that, you know, when people make excuses that this person stopped me from doing that, it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Nobody stopped you. You stopped yourself. You just found an easier way to stop yourself from doing it. But I think also, you know, as well, somebody. Think
0: about, wait, wait, sorry to cut you there. Yeah. Think about when you're saying that. Cause I, I I'm going to, I'm
1: going to, I'm going to go back also yeah, go to how I grew up. So, yeah you got to sit and think, you know, I think with the racism and everything else that we had to put up with, we had to like put up yeah. and deal with it if that yeah. kind of makes sense. Yeah. But then also you've got the the time of political correctness that came along, which is, oh, do you know, it's okay. You know, it's not, it's not about winning, it's about, you know, being part, you know, being part of the competition. The question is, everybody else is competing and then you're telling people not to compete. So mm. people then become kind of a bit less affair about Mm. how they do things. Mm. And I think anybody who would tell you and anybody who comes there will tell you, I tell everybody I'm not PC Mm. because you know what? If you're not going to (laughs) do well, I'll just tell you, listen, buckle up and do what you need to do. Mm. You know, many young people, you know, some people have come in and go, oh, Nicholas is a bit harsh. But then they kind of go when they come back and go, do you know what, Nicholas? You really did give me a kick up the backside and I kind of really needed that. And nobody else has really given me that if that- Do you think that
0: works for everyone
1: now? No, it doesn't work for anyone, everyone.
0: You know, like, obviously, you know where some of the young people we work with, where they're coming from, I'm saying. So for that young person that's, I don't know, had real issues at home, like, with their parents or lack of parenting. Do you know what? what? I think,
1: you know, I come across, you know, a wealth of people who can push and those who have hurdles that affect them. But also I think, you know, being a community person, it's about and I think this is also something that I learned from my pharmaceutical days about listening. Don't just jump in and go, come on, you can do it. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Find out why they can't do it. Mm -hmm. And I think even though I might say that I'm not Politically correct. Mm. You know, you still have to sit and listen to people and find out what their issues and what the what the hurdles are in their lives. Mm-hmm. If that kind of makes sense, yeah, before you course. kind of push them. So, for example, you know, some people will tell you. You know, some people I'll just I'm I'm quite happy to kind of like it's you know people close to me I'm quite happy to push them into the deep end. Mm. Because I kind of know them, and you kind of do that
0: to me quite a bit, don't you? Of course, like, I'm just saying, uh, yes. Like, you, you know, just but the thing is, there, like, you, the you don't meet now. some, you don't meet
1: somebody and go, "Come on, man! Yes. You know, pull your socks up." Mm. You know, kind of try to kind of get a, an understanding of who they are, you know, and why. So, you know, you and I have conversations. I'm like, dude, just do it. Mm. You know, mm. because you know, I know you. We've yeah, spoken. Yeah,
0: yeah, of yeah. course, of course, course. You know. Yeah. Um,
1: and I think, you know, even people that come here and do stuff, you know, um, and I might give that extra push, you know, for example, if I know the parents of a particularly young mm. person, mm. then I'll kind of like, you know, say, okay. And, you know, even with the community work that we that I do around here, you know, I have young people coming here and I can tell you for a lot of the young people that I work with, I know, I know a majority of their parents.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. So it's not just, oh, do you know what, come on, you know, pull your socks up, like, do whatever, stop crying. You know, the whole point is actually having an understanding with those with those young people and, yeah. and members of their yeah. family, either their mum or their dad.
0: Yeah, cool. All right, so thinking about- He's a right uh, presenter, isn't he? He's oh, <laughs> 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 <No>, All goes aside, <laughs> um, what advice would you give to young people nowadays what advice? Um, never give up. When I say giving them advice, advice in terms of being successful.
1: I think it's always about never giving up. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the only thing, you know, I was young once and, you know, I always tell my children this story that I remember when I first came to Peckham, and I remember there was a time when things just were, were not working Um and I, I remember I used to go home, you know, I used to go out for the day and come home, and I used to use that four-letter word beginning with F, and you know, bang on my bed, fuck. like why, 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 yeah. why, 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 yeah, fuck, yeah, yeah, just huh? say it like, it's you know, not PG. I, you know, I used to go like, fucking you know, why, 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 why is nothing working? But the thing is, it's funny because I look back now, and I'm like, okay, that's why it didn't work. Or that's why that worked and this didn't work. And what it's actually done, it's actually given me a better understanding of how to kind of navigate what I'm doing. That's hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. Hindsight. Because I think, you know, when you're young, you know, you're full of all this energy. You want to do so much, but the question is, what is it you're going to do and what, what, what is it you can do? And I think people like people like myself, I don't know if it's Sagittarius, I don't know whether it's to do with star sign or just creative traits, you've got so many things on your head. Mm-hmm. What do you do? I'm not a focused person. So for example, I can come in and I think that's why I like this place. I can come in, I can either do screen printing or I can sit down and do something else. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, you know when people say no days ever the same. That's how it is with me. And, and I've always been like that. So can you imagine I've gone from DJing to becoming a, a medical sales representative to marketing? I'm always like that. And I think if if you don't have that kind of focus, you know, where you have that diligent focus to say, this is what I'm doing and this is where I'm going, you're always going to have that battle in terms of who is it, what do you want to do? You know, my daughter, you know, my daughter's just gone back to university this year. And, you know, we have this joke because Every minute, dad, I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. And I'm like, whatever. Yeah. Be what you want to be. <laughs> yeah. Do you understand? Just be good at it. That's all I want you to do. And the question is, you know, whatever you do now might not be what you're going to be doing in 20 or yeah, 30 of course, years
0: time. Yeah, 100%. 100%. That makes sense. But, all right, so I'm looking at, I'm a young person. Mm. I come in. I come in to you. But. I'm on the roads. So I live a certain way. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I've got so much crap going on at home with my parents. My mum's on drugs.
1: Plan B. All these things. I always so, say plan B. But,
0: no, but all these things. I'm saying I'm putting myself with when I was young. Mm. And then I meet you and yeah, cool. You're saying the right things to me, but you can't relate to me. Mm. You don't know what I'm going through. So why are you, what, Why am I going to really take what you're saying? Because I can see you're successful. But yeah. I, I, sometimes with young people, they need to be able to relate. Like how would... I'm not saying I don't know, you know your story more. How would a young person relate to you in terms of, forget your work, how would they relate to you? How can, sometimes you need someone to understand that they've been in the pain that you've been in. Yeah. How would they relate to you? The, the thing is, I'll,
1: you know, as I was saying earlier, it's it's really about plan B. For me, plan B is always important. If things don't work out, what's your alternative? And I think with young people, you can't, You can't ram down advice down their throats. Mm -hmm. You know, as I said to you, I've got two children, I've got a son and a daughter, and everybody used to say, Oh, your children are so well behaved. And I'm like, Yeah, that's why they're in my environment. Once they're outside the door, I don't know what they get up to. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, you know, as you said, you don't know what people go through. The only thing that I can tell a young person is, Yeah, I might have got to where I've got to and I'm doing what I'm doing. But do you know what? There's been a lot of work that's gone behind it and nothing is ever easy. So don't sit and think because you might become successful, things are going to get easier. It might not. I think also, <clears throat> you know, the best piece of advice that I give to people is that I always tell people I'm not a process person. What does that mean? Don't write emails. Don't write long notes and all that kind of... It's, it's not me. I'm a talker. You know, we're, I think you and I we're the same. You know, <laughs> we talk we talk things into action, mm-hmm. and if we if we can't do it ourselves, we always know somebody who can do it.
0: Mm.
1: And I think we build those kind of you know. I think I've built friendships with people, you know, kind of looking at the journey that I was going on. So, for example, if you look at Livesy Exchange. I intentionally kind of went out my way to link up with uh, Tate Exchange and Tate Modern. Mm. I went out my way to build relationships with the Eden Project. You Mm. know, I went out my way to build relationships with the council. Mm. You know, those are the things that were intentional. And I think I kind of had this vision of how what I was going to do was going to work. And for some reason, I think some of the partners that we chose, it was almost like, I'd look and I go, I want them. And sometimes I wouldn't know why. But the things, as things progress, I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense now, if that kind of makes sense. And I think I always try and tell people you know, you've got to kind of work to see where your visions go in.
0: Mm.
1: And sometimes it might not work first time around, or it might be the right company, but the wrong personnel. You know, uh, they, there's lots of factors. And I think, as we said earlier, it's really about how you talk to people and get to understand people. So for example, if you look at the work we do with Lives Exchange and pen people, I think a lot of the people that I've worked with, you know, I've been talking to them for, a lot of them for years, or it might be a case of, you know, someone like you comes along and go, guess what, I know Nicholas, so I'm going to talk to my mate because he might be able to help you and steer in the right direction. I think for me, nothing nothing just materializes just like that at times, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: So, so in terms of we're here at Livesey Exchange, can you tell us a little bit about Livesey Exchange? And we've been talking and you've been telling us about your journey, but what's the work that you actually do? So the work that I do, um, well,
1: the work that I do, um, I think after my daughter finished college, I decided that I wasn't going to work anymore. Well, I didn't say I decided I was going to work, but I kind of wanted to have a bit of a change of career. Um, and for some reason, the community work kept drawing me close and close. For me, you know, it was like, okay, I've done this, done that. And I've done this with these people. And I also look back when I was at college as well, because I used to be one of the social... Um, what, they what were we called, social coordinators. So I used to organize trips to Alton Towers. And I think, you know, I served on the Tenants and Residents Association. We organized trips, you know, organized all kind of, you know, uh, community events, bringing people together. Cause I think I kind of realized I had a knack for talking to people, you know, whether it was through because of my job or the fact I had a car or if anybody wanted help, you know, people always knocking on my door.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um yeah, it. I kind of just started thinking about what I was going to do. And I remember, like, when I used to come back from work, I always jumped on my bike. And from jumping on my bike, I remember going to a meet and they said, oh, do you want to run a bike project? I was like, hell no, not interested. But then it kind of dawned on me that I'm the man who's always got the puncher kit in my house, always got the pump. <laughs> yeah, And it's on my door that everybody's yeah. always knocking.
0: yeah, yeah.
1: So I, I kind of realised, hold on a minute, even if I don't want to fix bikes, people actually come into my house to fix yeah. bikes anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went back to the council and I said to them, yeah, I'm going to, um, I want to set up a bike project. Um, and I remember I got £4,000 um, at the time to run a bike project. And then I remember going to my mum's house in Brixton. I remember going to a meeting because my mum is not far from Marcus Lipton. Yeah, yeah. So I think there was a meeting in Marcus Lipton. I thought, let me just pop in there. And um, I remember talking to the local councillor, Rachel Haywood. And I remember her saying oh, you're showing off with your bike projects in Lambeth. This is where you're really from you should do it here. And I just said to her, do you know what? I would, but there's so much politics. If you can cut out the politics, I'm quite happy to do it. She goes, okay, hold on, I'll have words. So, um, so she then hooked up a meeting, I think with the transport manager in Lambeth. And I think we then put in uh, a bid to a London sports event. Mm-hmm. So I think in the end we, I think we ended up with about 30 or 40,000 pounds to run a, a bike project. Mm-hmm. Um. And the joke was I couldn't fix a bike to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> Proper salesman, You kept it going, yeah? Yeah but, yeah, but do you know what? I think for me, it was always about how do you access money and find those who are good at doing what needs to be done so- rather than taking the glory. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where the name Pen People came about. It was about people empowering people. So we set up the bike project in, in, in Subwark. And I got a couple of local people who were interested in fixing bikes who were riding bikes and got them to join our bike club. And then when I went to Lambeth, I think for me, I always said it wasn't about ego. So what I just did, I think I went into the community of someone who lived there and whose, pe- whose mum and dad were living there and you know, said to someone, look, I'm going to run a bike project in Lambeth but it would be nice to have Lambeth people running it and getting people who can fix bikes but not necessarily accredited because I think for me one of the conditions that I did put was if I was to get a certain amount of money to run a project I'd make sure that people got accredited by the time we finished the project Mm. so we ended up getting six or seven no about eight people who then ended up with their sitting gills bike maintenance uh, accreditation because what I didn't want to do, and also I think one of the issues that I had was that every time I, went, I wanted to run a bike project, I was always told to work with these strangers who didn't know the local community. Yeah. So for me, it was really important that we get local people who knew the community, who people can go, oh, guess what, remember my bike that you fixed the other day? It's not working. Mm. I don't know what's happened. Can you help me? Do you understand? Rather mm. than having to wait other six months or two years before those people come back.
0: That's, sorry, interject, that's quite um, interesting. When you say you wanted it to be basically local and you're talking about strangers. Yeah. So what do you mean by that when you say strangers? So it was
1: people you'd call up an agency who's got a number of bike mechanics. They say, can you send bike mechanics down? Mm-hmm. And then those people come down and go, yeah, I'm here, 12 o'clock. Goodbye, it's six o'clock. Oh, sorry, we can't do that. Oh, we can't do this for you, if that kind of makes sense. Yes. Whereas when you work with local people, you know, you get like, for example, like the bike mechanics that we've got, it's, it's almost like you're kind of taking them from one place and you're moving them onto another. So for me, it was that, 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 in, that, that increased knowledge base. So for example, all the people that were on our, who we got accredited, they all knew how to fix bikes. -hmm. But they didn't know how to do it in an in an accredited way. So for example, you know, we might use a few screws to kind of like put something together and just bang it just to hold it together, if that kind of makes sense. You know, so for me it was about, okay, how are you gonna take that street knowledge and that accreditation? Whoops, sorry, and that accreditation and that accredited knowledge and kind of put them together. You know, um, so what I did, I just went out and I spoke to somebody on the estate, and I said, "Look, I need a couple of mechanics who are going to come out and help us fix bikes." And I remember it was funny because I think the first bike project we did in Lambeth, I think we, I think we had a, probably about a hundred and fifty people turn up.
0: Yeah. What just what word of mouth? How did you just be word of mouth? So- because what what happened is. People going and going, yeah,
1: we set up a bike project. Come and support us. Mm. To be honest, it was marketing that I could never afford.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And when was that? When was that? That was,
1: we're talking probably about 2011, 2010, 2011, between 2010 and 2013.
0: Do you think that'll still work now? That same sort of?
1: Yeah. Still- it, do you know what it is? I think even if you look at what we do here, mm. you know, people are always asking, how can we always get people engaged in what we do? Because, you know, we always make people the center of what we're doing. Mm. So, for example, at the moment, I'm thinking about doing an open day here. And the question is, it's going to be local people. It's going to be creative local people that lots of other local people are following. And we get them to come and host and do their thing. And they go around and say to people, guess what? I'm going to be at Livesey. You know, I'm going to be with Penn people. You know, come down and check me out. Mm. And also when I do things, I always tell people, you know what? Number one, foot forward. If you can't bring anyone, don't expect to be on the next event.
0: Yeah. So what is Livesey then? So
1: so Livesey um, was an idea. Um, so between when I first hooked up with uh, the Eden Project and a lot of the young people that we, you know, we, we, we do work with. Um, so this area was originally called Livesey Ward. Okay. Um, and I set up a well, I set up a a small group and I called it the Lives well, the project was supposed to be called the Lives Improvement Project because I kind of realized that lots of people wanted stuff but couldn't get access to it. And it was about how do we find that information, how do we work on that information, make things happy, and also provide opportunities for a lot of the young people that we were working with and delivering projects with. <laughs> So I started doing that. I started working and you know delivering projects, doing things like the big lunch, getting all the young people to come out. And for me, the big lunch was really about the young children, as opposed to the as opposed to the whole family.
0: Yeah.
1: About you know celebrating. So, for example, when we were giving out flyers, we were giving it to the young children, as opposed to the parent. Also, that was a bit of a marketing gimmick because we knew that as soon as you gave it to the children, too. We were like, yeah. oh, party, free food, you know, games, this, yeah, that and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'll remind the parents, says, mom, d- don't forget tomorrow yeah. we've got to go to the park. You know, we used to have like six, seven, 800 people coming out to these events. And I'll probably say more than that, actually, because it was six, 700 parents who were coming because not everybody got the ID. It was the parents that got the ID. So, um you know, talking to young people about what they wanted. We also got funding from uh, Community Development Foundation, got some money from the Eden Project, and we were able to buy things like trampolines and other bits and pieces for young mm-hmm. people, just to enjoy things. Because I think for me, living around was like, almost like living in a concrete jungle. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's about flats after flats with a few, you know, amenities. Uh, and you know, also you you can't forget that not everybody was using the youth clubs. It was like also how do you provide different alternatives? So I kind of started doing that project, and then I think, you know, trying to look for grants, I kind of started looking at the statistics of the area. And to me, what the statistics said and how some of the people felt was sometimes. Sometimes a lot of it was true and sometimes it wasn't. Mm. So it was like, oh, level of you know, uh, deprivation, you know, there's no educational attainment. But yeah, I'm talking to lots of people who are trying really, really hard to get really good grades. And, we're, and you know, as parents, we're always uh, always telling people, always try and be the best that you can be. Um. So I think through doing all these projects, I then did another project just literally upstairs, with a young gentleman uh, called Jason Cameron who, who was dyslexic. And I remember it quite well because I remember there was some funding available and I said to him, oh, you should apply for it. And he goes, you know, I'm dyslexic. And I went, yeah. And what's your point? Doesn't mean you can't do it. And doesn't mean you can't even read some of it, you know. And I said, look, I'll help you to do it, but you need to put a bit of drive and determination into it. For me, it wasn't the fact that he was dyslexic. It was... How much effort were you going to really, really put into it if that's what you really wanted to do? And for me, he was a really talented individual. He was a graphic designer. He did all our posters. You know, he ran uh, dance classes upstairs. So even when we did the big lunch, we got him to do all the choreography with all the young children, all the different groups. So for me, Livesey was really about how do you give power to the people? And how do you get... People who live locally to be involved in different things that were happening because I think there was a big disconnect between what the council were saying was happening in the area and how local people saw it. So I kind of just started, you know, this Livesey project thing and. I think what then happened is I then approached one of our local councillors. I I think I had to start reading about uh, indices of deprivation mm-hmm. to get an understanding of how the council statistically saw the area because they, they didn't live in our shoes to see what it was yeah, like. So it was yeah. like, how do I use that information and put it to them? So I was using that information and sending me emails. Oh, look at this and look at that and look at this. And you know, I don't agree with this because you guys are saying this, but this is what's actually happening. Then I met one of my local councillors and it was funny because I remember the block, the garages that I actually wanted to work across the road called Brom Yard.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, I remember I bumped into him next to it and I said, and he was, he was a cabinet member actually at the time. And I said to him, we need a community centre in our community that works for local people. And he said, we've got one. And, then, and I'm thinking, I know this here like the back of my yeah, hand.
0: where's that? Where? Yeah.
1: And he went, Nunhead. And I went, this ain't Nunhead wards. Yeah. This is your ward and you don't have one in your ward. We need one in your ward. You can you can be a cabinet member for the whole of the borough. That's yeah. not my problem. Yeah, yeah. This is your ward, so we need something in here. And, I, and then he introduced me to the director of housing and the director of properties we had a conversation and bingo, here was Livesey. So for me, Livesey's about, is a hyper-local project, you know, that was about building capacity and upskilling local people. And then it was funny because as soon as we got it, you know, information came out that this area was then going to become what's called it like a new opportunity area, like lots of money was going to be poured in. Mm. There was going to be all this regeneration that was going to happen. So I think for me, it's been really good that, you know, and I think going back to what you said earlier about, you know, if there's a mistake that you could rectify, what would it be? And, you know, as I said, all the things that I've done has kind of led up to now. So like Mm. working in the pharmaceutical industry, being able to talk to different individuals, Mm. being a DJ, talking to people on the street, you know, it brings all these different worlds together. And I think for me, this is what Livesey's been about. Mm. It's about talking to developers, about talking to the regeneration team in Southwark Council, talking to people in the mayor's office, talking to architects, but also talking to the people and having their vision at the front of it.
0: So when you say talking about art, architects, what's that for? Because people can't actually see what this space so, is. So
1: when I say talking to to architects, it's not just about talking to architects about my project. It's about talking to architects in the wider scheme of the whole Old Kent Road. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it's about how do we provide opportunities and how do we provide spaces that benefit local people?
0: And is that what lives the exchange and is And that thinking? is what
1: lives is about. And I think okay. lives is about being that first... Run on the ladder where people can say, "Hey, look at me! Look what I'm! Look what we're doing! Mm-hmm. Come and see us! Don't discount us just because you don't know who we are and where we are, you know." Um, and I think for me, I was not going to turn my face. I was not going to turn my nose up at the opportunity to have a space like this. Yeah, and for sure. me, it's, it's about taking. It. Yes, amazing for space. me, it's about taking it and making the most out of it. And I've been really glad in terms of all the activities we've been able to do. Yeah, but. You know, at the same time, people, no, correction, organisations and funders need to understand that we're not talking about the code when we when we put our applications. We're just going, oh, we want to run a, a, yeah, an activity. Yeah. And I think funders need to also kind of need to understand that, yeah. that as community groups who don't have funding, it's difficult. Yeah, and these course. are some of the challenges.
0: Yeah, yeah. 100%. You know,
1: so, but yeah, but Livesey's really, you know, Livesey's, Livesey's a hyper-local project that we're doing to support local people, to get local people involved in the whole regeneration process. And I think for me, I'm kind of happy because I think through a lot of the activities that we've done and the fact that we've not really been a funded organisation, I think we've kind of changed the landscape in terms of how people talk about community engagement. Yeah, You know, they don't just wake up and go, oh, we spoke to a couple of people. I think now it's like, okay, we really need to engage with people. Cause it's, I think for me, it's almost like saying, guess what? If you don't do things in a particular way, you know, Nicholas is going to do it and he's going to make it look really, really good. And it's really bad if he can do it with no funding mm-hmm. and other organizations who are getting funding Can't get people to even to attend the events.
0: Looking back at your younger days, what would you change? What would I change?
1: Do you you want me to be honest? Yeah. I think I'd be a bit more capitalistic. Mm. Yeah. Because the thing is, I think, you know, I think you need the finance to do what you want to do. I think as, as community people, sometimes we're trying to do this trickle down effect. I wouldn't say trickle down, I think that's, you know, undermining, you know, the work that many of us do. But sometimes we have to generate the money to do what we need to do. And I think even like now I say to my children, look, go out, work, make your money. And in 10, 20 years time, do what you want to do because you've got that security. And I think for a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of people like ourselves who are doing stuff in the community, we don't do it because we want to, we do it because we don't have a choice.
0: Mm.
1: You know, we look at the people who live within our environment and we don't want them to go down. We don't want them to make the mistakes that we've made. And we don't want them to, to live the life that, you know, some of our parents have lived. You know, Mm. I look at, you know, I look at this, you know, even like what I do now, I look at Old Kent Road, I look at this area and I'm, you know, for me, all the young people tell you, you know, my bugbear is how do we get young people to afford some of these expensive houses that are coming up on Old Kent Road? Mm. You know, we can't keep going, oh, we want, you know, council, council, was it council, council uh, rate rate housing? Because there's not enough of them. Mm. What we need to do is teach people how they how they get into buying some of the more expensive houses, the afford... Actually, quote, unquote, affordable the ones, mm. um, affordable ones. Unfordable. Which... Uh,
0: um, f- what do you say? Affordable. Oh, okay, affordable housing. Yeah, affordable. Because yeah.
1: affordable is 80% of the market rate. Mm. Do you understand? Mm. But the question is, for many of us who live around areas like Old Kent Road, you know, we're not targeted.
0: Mm.
1: If you go to Singapore go to Malaysia, you'll probably see flats that are worth, you know, flats that are worth half a million pounds advertised in different countries.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, with young people not being given an advantage to say, okay, this is coming on the market in five years time, do you want to buy it? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't give them time to save. So as far as they're concerned, well, what? why should I bother? It's not for me.
0: You mentioned mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. You said about mistakes, young people making mistakes. So looking at your own life, what would you say is one of the biggest mistakes you've made and where?
1: What's well, one of the biggest mistakes? Oh, does anyone ever admit to making mistakes? Well,
0: that's, that, <laughs> that's part of the development, isn't it? Do you know what? It? You know what? People, that's it.
1: I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't say mistakes because I am who I am. And my and my uh, I, I would say that my destiny um or my fate has led me down the path that I've gone, but I think there would be certain things that I would change. So, for example, I used to be quite an avid reader, and um, I don't read I don't read that much anymore. You know, I could find the time to read more, and I think that's one thing that I would like to do, because I think you know reading, you know, reading and in, in increasing, you know, what you read and how you read, it can also affect you. And I think for someone like me, I do read a lot, but I don't, I don't have that focus to like just sit down and read, you know, articles, papers and newspapers like I used to. And the question is, you know, information is, is, is really the currency of what we do. Mm. you know, if you don't have that I think for me, I'm lucky that, you know, as much as maybe I don't read that much, I think my currency is, is about really about having social, social capital. I talk to people, I hear things. So all the things that I'm supposed to read, you know, I get all that information firsthand.
0: So in your whole life, with all your experience, being in Peckham and being in Loughborough, you're trying to tell me reading. I want to know. No, I, no, I'm just saying that's yeah. for, that's for me. And I'm saying for you, because I know you, right? Yeah. So, you, you've you grown up where you've grown up. You've been in Nigeria. You've seen all of these things. Mm. You've been in this environment. I'm asking you, like, because we're talking about young people watching this. I want you to tell me, like, a real mistake that's really something that's really affected you. Not like, oh, uh, what you should have done better, like reading or whatnot.
1: You see, the, the thing is, is that there could have been mistakes that I've made, but the whole point is, The way I see it, everything that I've done up until now has helped me be who I am now. Of course.
0: But touch on that. Touch on the real stuff. Not the... That's the politician answer. I yeah, I should read more. That's politics. No, but, no, but the, but, it's something no, you should no, do. No, 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 but no, I'm no, no,
1: no, 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 I'll tell you why I say read more because do you know what yeah. it is? There's a lot of is key. It, yeah. There's a lot of information and that information, if you really sit and look at how this world is, if you look at how this world is, it is about information. Of course. And the question is, you know. Like, for example, I tell my son, read more. My daughter, my daughter buys me books. Do you understand? Yeah, no, Even to the it. point that I feel I feel that... I feel comfortable with my daughter because she's reading more. Yeah, no, she's knowledgeable. Does that make yeah, yeah. sense? And knowledge
0: is power. Yeah. There's no choice so, about-
1: so don't get me wrong. When I, when I say that, you know what, I wish I could read more, I mean... I probably suffer from some, some kind of dyslexia because you know, thing is I can read, I can write, like, I might, not, I, might, I, might like I might not like I might not like punctuations and commas yeah, yeah, and yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. you know. And then sometimes I don't like reading back what I've read, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think the one, the one mis- the one mistake that I, do you know, what I don't know whether I should keep call it a mistake. I will no, I'm not going to call it a mistake. I think educationally, I think it, that was the one thing I never really strived to to complete and finish. And the thing is, I'm not going to say it's a, I'm not going to say it's a mistake that I've made, but I think you know, like with my son, you know, he did, you know, I think he went to, he went to Lewisham College, and I think with my son and my daughter, and I just said my daughter's gone back to university. She took mm. she took you know she took time out. And I just kind of, like just left them. And I think maybe what I should have done was actually, you know, encourage her and be there, be there more for her when she was actually doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, just to make sure that, you know, has my future generation, they're in a much better place than I am. I think that's the only miss. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am there for my children, but the thing is I wish I could have been there a lot more.
0: Yeah. And yeah, that's something that's, it's quite hard. That- it's not that it's hard, but when you're not with the mother of child, no. it, it creates that distance. Do you know what I mean? I My like, children lived with me. Yeah.
1: But the question is, I think I could have still been there a lot more.
0: Can you elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: <laughs> so, you know, like I said to you, I went to work in the pharmaceutical industry. Oh, dad, I need kickers. Yeah, come on, let's go East Street. Oh, dad, I need this. Yeah, come on. It was almost like I had the money. Yeah, take. Mm-hmm. To me, that's not been about being a good parent. It's about being there for them. And I think as I've gone got older and I've beginning, I'm beginning to understand about parenting, you know, I will say thank you to my daughter because, you know, she she's she really taught me a lot, mm-hmm. um, you know. So do you um, feel
0: like you wasn't there as much?
1: I was there, but I wasn't there. It was like, come on children, let's go jump in the car. So I still remember when, you know, my, 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 you know, my daughter, they turned what, 13, no, 14, 15. I was like, come going to a party. They were like, no. Mm-hmm. It was that shock, like, a bigger pardon? You're my children, you're supposed to come with me. But then having that English upbringing is like, okay, do you know what? Yeah, I'll go without you guys.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: felt like I was walking like this,
0: Mm.
1: like there were ghosts I'm walking with two ghosts if that kind of makes sense like my children are supposed to be there but they're not there you know and I think I think it's at that time when they started being a bit more independent you know I think I should have stepped up a bit more
0: Mm.
1: you know Um, I mean don't get me wrong we've got a really really good relationship now but I think that time it was almost like oh that teenage rebellion time if that kind of makes sense where you kind of go oh you know what they're always moody you know they're always this they're always that oh you don't listen you know but the question is i wasn't listening does that make sense no
0: it does and it's making me think it's making me think about my own situation yeah. not being like the mother of my child and thinking i do spend a lot of time with my daughter but sometimes it's easier to just say i'll oh, go and play robux yeah, or yeah, yeah just do that do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's quite hard. Like, do you know what I mean? There's other things going on. But I think sometimes, obviously my daughter's younger, but the question is, I might see myself a certain way, but how do they see me? Yeah, exactly. Do you get what I'm saying? I can think, oh, yeah, no, I was there. I've done yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they might think, well, you're a prick. But, and was a crack but, doctor, but the question I mean? is,
1: you see, that's what I'm saying. Mm. I said, I thought I was there. Yeah, I yeah. was, but I wasn't 100% yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And looking back on it now... I was there, but I wasn't there. Yeah, It's like that of money, yeah, 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 go shop. You know, when they gone to the shops, like, oh yeah, I can just take a break, have a cup of coffee and chill out for a little bit. Do you understand? But I think that was, for me, looking back, that was, I think that was the, that was the most, that was, that would have been the best time to actually really, really bond with my children. You know, and I think I've had to end up doing it afterwards as opposed mm. to doing it then.
0: Mm. 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 Okay. And in terms of, I don't know, like, where, how did you get that? I can see you've got a little scar there. Do you know what I mean? How did you get that?
1: Like you, I in the battles. I,
0: I don't know what, <laughs> I, I don't know what battles you were in. I don't uh, know what battles you were
1: in. No, nah, I had a fight when I was young and I got marked with a Coca-Cola bottle.
0: That oh, was it? Yeah. What, just what, school fight random? Yeah. Yeah. Is that all that happened? Yeah. So how old were you? Yeah. Uh, no, how old were you? How old were you when? Um,
1: well, I, I, was, I was quite young, actually. Yeah, how young? Just young.
0: Yeah, what, was you at school? No, was I was it at school. College? I was at school, school. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it wasn't nothing. You didn't ever get involved in no nah, 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 nah. gang stuff? No, no, I mean, to
1: be honest, I-, I wasn't here when the whole gang thing really kicked off. Mm. You know, I think, you know, like I said, I was born in the 60s. You know, I think there was more issues about, you know, National Front at the time rather than gangs. But the thing is, at the same time, gangs... National
0: Front, for people that don't know, what's, what's that? National. It was, you know, uh,
1: Skinner Party, the precursor to, you know, it was a racist party that was randomly going out, beating up black people at the time. And I think, you know, 60s and 70s was when they were quite prolific. So... I think, you know, we always went out, you know, when we went out, it was always with the whole family.
0: Mm. You know,
1: lucky enough, we lived in areas where we could just jump on a bus. And I think for me, I don't really have that many... No, actually, I do, actually. I, did, I do have memories of racial incidences happening when I was in primary school. Mm. But then, you know, I think I became, you know, well... I think I got beat. Well, I didn't get beaten up. I got hit once actually. I remember going home and telling my mum and then getting beaten up again for actually telling my mum that I got beaten up <laughs> in school. That never ever happened yeah, again. Yeah,
0: yeah. One of them and men's... I became
1: the top fighter in school at the time because, and it was funny because. You don't
0: strike me as a man that used to fight a lot though.
1: I had to. Yeah? Yeah, I had to. And and again, that was, I think for me, I've always kind of put racism to one side. Mm. You know, um, and I think a lot of the fights that I did have at school were, were racially motivated. Okay,
0: yeah.
1: You know, but it was a case of, I had to go back to school the next day and I had to deal with it. And the only way I could deal with it was by fighting and beating up those individuals, which I did, you know, to the point that, you know, even, even though my brothers and my my immediate junior brother and my si- immediate sister, we all went to the same school. Mm. They didn't face it because it would, you know, people got to them and say, "Oh, you know, make all kind of comments," and they'll just say, "You know, Nicholas is my brother," and that was it. Mm. You know, um, even to the point that when I went back to Nigeria in 1979, I even took I even took one of my bloodied vest it's, as a memento.
0: Yeah. So what from the time when you went back to Nigeria and you came back? So when you came back, it wasn't it wasn't like that anymore in terms of fighting and whatnot. You, nah, it was a it was completely different atmosphere. It was
1: completely different because remember I'd been away for about six years. Mm. So most of my friends is kind of dispersed. There was a few friends that lived around Flaxman Road who were still there. And I think because I'd left Streatham, I'd moved to Brixton, it was kind of like a new era. But also at the same time, everybody was much younger than myself. Mm. And then I had one friend, Chima, who lived across the road and Joe. Um, But then, you know, as I said, before I knew it, I was, on a, I was in a three-piece suit going back to Nigeria. Okay. So I didn't really have that many friendships that, you know, that were really formulated in that, during those teenage years where, you know, especially where young boys really get to bond yeah. with one another. Yeah. You know, you have fights and you kind of work out who's who and who's in what pecking not. I didn't have none yeah. of that, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, completely. All right, and what, that's, that. so, to be fair, it's really fascinating some of the things that you've been saying and... The journey that you've gone along and the journey that you're still on. So, one of the ways I like to end this, looking at the current climate and how everything is right now, and how, maybe how you're feeling. If you could be an animal, any animal, what animal would it be and why? <sighs> and bearing in mind everything you've just said about your journey, what you're upon now.
1: Oh, if I was going to be an animal. If I, was going to, if I was really going to be an owl, I think I'd be a bear. Yeah, yeah. Where's yeah. There? The thing is, I like to be on my own. But the thing is, I don't like when people kind of disturb the peace. And I think when I talk about disturbing the peace, it's, it's almost like we live in an environment and things have its equilibrium. And then you come along and you kind of change it. It benefits you, but it doesn't benefit us who live in this environment. So you're coming into our patch and you're changing it. We can't find the berries. We can't find, you know, the nice fruits that we need to eat because you've gone and moved it for your benefit and you've not taken into consideration. And I think that's when I become angry
0: and I become the angry bear. On that note, Hmm? an absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you. Take care. Thanks.